0: The scripture reading for this morning is from Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Now if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron, Who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. How many of you uh, remember the game, Don't Break the Ice? Anyone? Yeah, right? Don't Break the Ice. It's, that, it's like a you know, plastic square frame on little plastic legs and it has these plastic little cubes in them that look like ice you know you, t- you turn it upside down you shove all the cubes in there it's nice and tight the thing holds it in place you turn it back over you put a penguin in the middle and then you hand a mallet in between each person and start tapping away right you, you got to knock one block out and then you hand the mallet off and somebody else knocks another block out, and you you keep going until the penguin falls, until the ice breaks. I think this game was invented in 1968. I honestly think I played this as a kid. I know our kids played it as kids. Uh, I know I've played it with my granddaughter. Lots of fun. Don't break the ice. And it's hard, you know, being a teacher um, to not with my little four-year-old granddaughter after the ice breaks, kind of laugh and say, this is so much fun, but but sweetie, there's a life lesson here. (laughs) The ice always breaks. (laughs) The ice always breaks. This passage is going to touch on two key ideas that I'll unpack in a moment. The first is perfection, the idea of perfection, and the other is the idea of hope, Perfection, as we'll see in the passage, is the idea of completion. It's the idea of reaching the end point of the Christian life, finishing the race, of making it, of being in God's presence without sin or sorrow, knowing only fullness of joy with him and all God's people in a world where all has been made new. That's the idea of of perfection or, or completion. Hope The better hope that the author of Hebrews is talking about in this passage is the confidence we can have in Christ that will make it, that that that, that completion will come to fruition, that we'll know that fullness that the Bible offers to us in Christ with certainty, hope that is secure because of what Jesus did and because of what Jesus is continuing to do for those who are his own we can have complete certainty that the ice won't break from under us. You see, if you're not looking to Jesus for your hope for perfection, if you're not looking to Jesus, in other words, with confidence for completion, If you're looking to anything other than what Jesus has done to ensure that you will make it to the end, you're making your life a giant game of don't break the ice. The people who first read Hebrews were making God's law their life. They were willing to turn away from everything that Jesus offers, to turn away from completion in him in order to look to their own goodness for their standing with God. And some of you may be doing the same this morning. You've, you've rejected Christ or you are turning away from him, confident that your own goodness will be enough on the last day and let me tell you that ice is gonna break. Some of us are basing our happiness, our meaning, our identity on things that though good, cannot support the weight we put on them or the forces of the world that strike against them. Here's what I mean, think of marriage. Marriage is a good thing, it's a gift from the Lord. But if you're standing on your marriage, if your marriage is the source of your your meaning, your happiness, your identity, your joy, your satisfaction in your life, then at some point that ice is gonna crack. You put tremendous pressure on your spouse to be essentially Jesus for you. You face trials in life that strain your relationship. You get disappointed. You get hurt. And at some point, the ice cracks. I don't mean that you divorce, although sadly that that happens. I mean you fall into disillusionment and despair. You just kind of go through the motions But even if you have a wonderful marriage, at some point, one of you will die. And if the one who remains has been basing their entire life on the marriage, then they will find that the ice has broken beneath them. Same is true with children. Children are a gift from the Lord. But if you're basing your happiness on your kids, I don't know, doing what you say, (laughs) right? the ice is going to break from under you. They're little sinners just like you are. The same is true with your work. If your identity is bound up with your job, that ice will break, even if it doesn't happen until the, the day that you retire and you realize you don't have any idea who you are because your identity and your role have been bound up together at work. At that point, The ice will break if you've been basing your standing and your life on your job. Speaking of identity, we're in an age where people face enormous pressure to discover their own identity from within them. The world, self-doubt, the weight of expectations, the need to be nearly perfect but not superficial, to be unique but not stand out to be successful but not out of touch, to be, to be wealthy and to be able to be seen as wealthy and yet uber generous. Those are constant hammer blows that are striking on the foundation of our youth. And At some point, that ice will break. And then what? The author of Hebrews is telling us in this passage that because of Jesus's indestructible life, Because of his satisfactory death, and because of his permanent priesthood, we have a better hope, a better hope of making it to the end, a better hope that that what we're standing on, if it's Jesus, will never give way. So those are the three things we're going to look at this morning. First, Jesus's indestructible life. Second, we're going to look at his satisfactory death. And then third, we're going to look at his permanent priesthood. But first, let's pray. Oh, Father, as we come before you this morning, we acknowledge our need for you. Lord, we may be acknowledging right now our need to better appreciate our need for you. Because we get so distracted. We run so fast through life. We forget that you exist. We forget that at one day our breath will leave us for the final time. And yet we come back together each and every Sunday morning with an opportunity to be invited back into reality. And so we come before you now, before your holy word, for you are a holy God, eager to hear from you and experience the assurance that you offer us because of what Jesus has done and is presently doing for all those who are his own. Would you speak to us by your spirit through your word this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Jesus's indestructible life. There was a problem with the Old Testament priesthood that the author of Hebrews is unpacking throughout Hebrews. Remember, the priesthood of Jesus, the high priesthood of Jesus over against the priesthood of the Old Testament was the predominant predominant theme, is the predominant theme of the book of Hebrews. Now, it is so hard. We were praying about this this morning in pre-service prayer. It is so hard to appreciate The significance of what is happening in Hebrews, if you don't feel that tension, that burden of the fact that because of our sin and God's holiness, we need someone to stand between us and God in our place. Because if we don't have someone to intercede for us, if we don't have someone to make a sacrifice on our behalf, to do the work that the Old Testament priests did that the initial hearers would have appreciated that Jesus did fully and finally for all who put their hope in him if we don't feel that sense of 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 gravity before holy God then we miss the good news that's in this passage we need to hear the bad news in order to appreciate the good news the bad news is because of our sin we cannot stand before God and live apart from someone making a way for us Now, in the Old Testament, God's plan to point to the ultimate solution in Jesus was to provide priests who descended from the line of Aaron to offer sacrifices that were also appointed by God to be given in order to deal with the sin of God's people prior to the coming of Jesus Christ. Now, when you hear me talk about priests, I'm not talking about priests priest today i'm not talking about catholic priests i'm not talking about the idea that if anyone says to you you need to go to a priest in order now you need to go to a priest in order to you know have someone intercede for you to to pray for you because you can't do that yourself that is a falsehood reject that That's not what the author of Hebrews is addressing here, however. What he's addressing here is the Old Testament priesthood. But again, the point he's driving home is that Jesus is the one to whom we go. We don't need anyone else to intercede. You do not need to come to me in order to ask me to pray for you so you can be forgiven. You can come to me anytime you want to talk about anything that's going on. But when it comes to that point, if you're feeling this sense of burden, what do I do with my sin? I am not gonna stand between you and God. I'm gonna come alongside you and we're gonna pray to our Savior, our Savior. Problem with the Old Testament priesthood. Remember the question from last week, where do we go with our guilt? Where do we go with our guilt? The first problem with the Old Testament priesthood that the author of Hebrews is gonna tell us about is that under the Old Testament priesthood, perfection was not attainable. That completion, that making it, that having a conscience that's cleansed and and knowing that we're standing clean before a holy God, it can have full access to him at any point. The Old Testament priesthood and the sacrificial system that was bound up with it could Not attain that. You see it in verse 11. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek? Verse 19, jump down there. You get a nice little, it's called an inclusio, a little wraparound to drive home the point in verse 19. I'll come back and read verse 18 first. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. And then here's the key, for the law made nothing perfect, echoing what had been said in verse 11. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Perfection was not attainable. What's pointed to there in verse nine, this ability to draw near to God that we can do through Jesus cannot be done through the Old Testament law. What can the law do? Even for us today, it can show us how much we need a savior. It can remind us how sinful we are. That was all it could do for the people in the Old Testament prior to the coming of Jesus. And in that sense, that's all it can do for us. It cannot save us, but it can point to our need for a savior. The second problem with the Old Testament priests that the author of Hebrews is pointing out here is that their representation of us before God was not perpetual. In other words, they died. They didn't last. So take a look with me at verse 23. I didn't read that. uh, uh, I did read that earlier. Let me read it again. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office which is why, looking back up at verse 16, it was necessary, there was a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. In other words, here's Aaron and all the priests that would descend from Aaron. This is why the genealogies were so important in the Old Testament, because one would die, and then you look back to the list to see who was next. But there was no single person who could permanently represent God's people before God for the forgiveness of sin. And so the author of Hebrews is essentially saying, why in the world would you turn back to that when God has provided a better priesthood? God has provided the true high priest, Jesus. And again, he, he uses this example of Melchizedek. Now, I'm not gonna take the time that I took last week to unpack who this Melchizedek was. But, but let me just remind us of, of this. Melchizedek... Was a way in which the author of Hebrews was demonstrating the superiority of Jesus over the superiority over the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament by saying that Melchizedek overshadowed Abraham and foreshadowed Jesus. He overshadowed Abraham because in Abraham those Levites were actually paying tithes to Melchizedek, which is something that the inferior does to the superior. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And in blessing Abraham, he was blessing the Levites, which is something that the superior does for the inferior. And so Melchizedek overshadowed Abraham and consequently the Levitical priesthood. And also uh, Melchizedek foreshadowed Jesus in the sense that Melchizedek was without beginning or end. We don't know anything about his lineage. Unlike the genealogies of all the Old Testament priests, there was no genealogy for Melchizedek pointing to Jesus who is the eternal high priest. And so there's this priest we see in verse 11 after the order of Melchizedek. And then again in verse 17, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In other words... It's no longer going to be about earthly descent from a man. It's going to be about a promise that's fulfilled from God. The point that the author is making in this part of his argument is that if you're going to be made complete, you're not going to be made complete by going back to the way that's been made obsolete. You're going to be made complete by looking to the one whom God has promised the better priest, the one whose life is indestructible, who will not fail you. Jesus is the one who came on the scene in order to be that priest. He rose from the dead in order to demonstrate that his life is, in fact, indestructible. And we need an indestructible high priest. And we have one in Jesus. But let's turn secondly to his satisfactory death. Take a look at verses 26 and 27 with me. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. The Old Testament priests could never offer a sacrifice sufficient to take away the sin of the people. They could cleanse, uh, they could give them a kind of a ritualistic cleansing, right? The the need for them to be um, ritualistically clean in order to come into God's presence. The Old Testament sacrifices could accomplish that because God said that they would. They could not cleanse the conscience. They could not make someone fit to be before God with complete confidence that they would be accepted. It could not make someone able to have unimpeded access to God and the confidence of unbroken fellowship with God. But Jesus accomplished that, not by offering some other sacrifice, but by offering his very life as that sacrifice. Verse 26 that I read, he uses the words. The author of Hebrews uses words that would have rung in their ears. When he says words like holy, innocent, unstained he's using the very language that was used to describe sacrifices in the old testament the author of hebrews is saying jesus is that truly holy truly unstained truly innocent without sin final sacrifice his sacrifice of his self was accepted once and for all by god because jesus was not like us The author of Hebrews earlier in the letter went to great lengths to assure us that Jesus is like us. He knows what it is to be tempted, yet without sin. He's able to empathize with us in our weakness because he too suffered. But we ultimately need a Savior who is not like us. Not like us in the sense that he is without sin, we must have a sinless savior who dies so that our ransomed soul could be set free. That's the only way, that's the only way we can be saved. Our confidence in our completion, our hope and our perfection is grounded in Jesus's indestructible life, but also in his satisfactory death. Third, and finally, let's look at Jesus' permanent priesthood. This central section of the text that I read is so powerful. There's so much assurance here. Let me read it for us, verses 20 through 25. "'And it was not without an oath. "'For those who formerly became priests "'were made such without an oath. "'But this one was made a priest with an oath "'by the one who said to him, "'The Lord has sworn, it will not change his mind.'" you are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. If you forget about the fact That though justified, you've put your trust in Jesus Christ for your salvation. You stand justified before God. Jesus did pay it all. If you embrace that, but forget the fact that Jesus is continually interceding, pleading his wounds, as it were, for your forgiveness, applying the work of his atonement, of his satisfaction of God's wrath for your sin, for you, continually, then we don't fully appreciate the magnitude of what Jesus is doing for us right now. What wondrous love is this? That Jesus would continue to intercede, and he, and he, he delights to do so. He lives to continually make intercession for us. He doesn't get frustrated like we do as parents with our kids. Again? Okay, okay. I forgive you never the the heart of Jesus is to draw near to us in our need in order to forgive us to to be able to say my my wounds were born my blood was shed for this purpose the father's heart delights in seeing his children forgiven because he sent his son into the world to the cross to die that that might be the case God's heart doesn't shrivel and shrink when we sin, it enlarges and moves towards us with mercy that we might be forgiven. If you're sitting there going, that sounds too good to be true, then you're finally beginning to get the gospel because it is too good to be true. You know yourself and I know me and the Lord knows all of us better than we know ourselves and yet, his movement is always toward and never to recoil because of what Jesus did and because of what he still is doing and in interceding for us. And this is not something that God is just like, well, okay, I guess you're gonna have to do that. God swore by himself to his son that this is what Jesus would do. Did you catch that? Look with me again at verse 21. But this one was made a priest with an oath by the one, that is God, who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. What confidence can we have? Here's Jesus' life who's indestructible, his death which satisfies God's wrath, and a priesthood that's permanent based on the finished work of Jesus Christ and also based on an oath that God took in his own name to secure the priesthood of his son, Jesus Christ. That is how, there there never needs to be a question whether or not Jesus is praying for you. The only question is whether or not you will rest in his intercession, whether you will appropriate the grace that has been secured for you and is being offered to you in your experience in your moment of need. It's not a question of whether there's any lack of supply on God's end. It's always a question of whether there's a lack of receptivity on ours. Forever, Jesus will be interceding for his own. You know that passage in Romans 8? God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And you can read that and go, man, what a beautiful line. I hope that's true. This is how you know it's true. Why is it that all things can work out together for good for those who love God? Because Jesus is always praying for us all along the way. That's how we can know all things will work out for good. Those Old Testament priests were always standing. The sacrifices that are being referred to here in this passage have to do with the daily sacrifices, the the morning sacrifice, the evening sacrifice, the... The high priest at his post always had to be busy, standing as it were. Jesus offered his final sacrifice and he sat down. Payment made. But in the sense of his intercession, he's still standing. He hasn't stepped back from that work in any way. He joyfully executes his office as a priest by interceding for his own forever. And if you're a Christian this morning, if you put your trust in Jesus for your salvation and yet are doubting that that might not be the case, could that possibly be the case for me? Let me encourage you to join with Jesus in how he's presently praying for you that you would appropriate more of what he's accomplished for you in your present experience of him. What what if I told you that you could you could know with absolute certainty that you're praying what Jesus is praying for you. I mean, wouldn't that be awesome? You could know without a shadow of a doubt that your prayers align with Jesus' prayer. You can by praying what the scripture says. (laughs) Uh, Let me read this verse. Verse from the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven. Let me personalize it. I'll, I'll personalize it for myself. Lord, may I not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving would let my request be known to you and may your peace which surpasses all understanding guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I can pray that prayer knowing that Jesus is also praying that prayer because it's his word and it's his will for all those who are his own. Or take Colossians 1, 9 through 11, again, personalizing it. God and Father of my Lord Jesus Christ, fill me with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding that I may walk in a manner worthy of you fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of you. May I be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. You don't have to pray that prayer and wonder if it's God's will that it be answered for you. It is God's will for that to be answered and it's also the way in which Jesus is praying for you even now. One of the things that we're going to begin doing with our growth group study guides beginning this week is on the back of the study guide, there'll be a number of these prayers of the Apostle Paul. And there'll be a little blank where you can put in your name or you can put in the name of someone else in the group. What I want to encourage you to do is come to your group having looked at that sheet and saying, you know what, this this one right here, I'm going to ask people in the group to pray for me about this particular passage right here. And as you're sitting there listening to one another share their prayer requests, go ahead and say, man, this is what I need. Or, man, I'm hearing you say this. I'm gonna pray for you with respect to that, but I'm also, God's putting it on my heart to pray for you with respect to this as well. What an amazing uh, development, improvement in our prayer life as a church. If we're praying scripture for one another with confidence that this is the will of God for, for us. If you're not in a growth group, I encourage you to get one, but I'm not going to make a condition for getting that prayer list. <laughs> if you want the prayer list, just you know, write it on a Connect card and uh, give us an email address and I'll send it to you. Um, but yeah, we can be praying. Praying with confidence. That's the first application. The second application, and we're wrapping up here. Just as we can draw near to God through Jesus and make our requests known to him, there is an opportunity here to draw near to one another as well. We talk about redemptive vulnerability around here, that willingness to just be real, to not put on a facade, to not pretend that we're something that we're not, to just go ahead and be the snotty, ugly selves that we are with one another in order to point to Jesus. What does that look like when it comes to this passage? It looks like this. When the ice breaks, and it always does, there's someone who can come alongside and say, I get it, I know what it feels like when the ice breaks out from underneath you. I've been there, but do you feel what we're standing on right now? This solid ground, that's Jesus. It won't give way. We're secure in him. He won't break. We know he won't break under us because the ground did break under him. On the cross, as he was bearing the weight of the curse for our sin, the ground shook, an earthquake struck the land. Jesus experienced the ultimate falling away of all support as the Father turned his face away from him so that the ground would never fall away from under us. Because the life of Jesus was and is indestructible, and because the sacrifice of his very self in our place on the cross was acceptable, his priestly intercession is effectual. You have a better hope that will not fail. Draw near to God through Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promise that is contained in this passage that we can draw near to you. A holy God, even though we are sinful people, through Jesus, our mediator, but even more, our intercessor. Help us to know the complete confidence that we can have that because of his grace, we'll make it to the end. And we give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.